<laughs> Limited potential. <laughs> You're watching Rockstar. The oh yeah the the movie from I guess it would be the mid two thousands yeah early yeah mid no early two thousands is it good movie? I think I was still in high school I I, I know it's set in the eighties of like For the sure. hair metal scene but yeah it was based on like what band was it was it Judas Priest or something like that I think it's just one of like the generic definitely hair not. metal it was bands definitely not Judas Priest I no. thought no I thought it was loosely loosely based on a eighties power metal band that's I think it was like based on like the the glam the glam 80s rock. metal glam mm. Bands. Anyway, the, loud the, hair. From what I gathered from the whole movie, mm-hmm. I think the only thing that truly distinguishes you from being uh, an average star to a person—sorry, from a person to an average star to a full-blown rock star—is eyeliner. It's. It comes down to eyeliner. I can tell you, I've I've worn eyeliner, and I felt like I I changed in that moment. Andrew, you were in a band. Did you ever wear eyeliner? Yeah, actually, we did. We did for shows. You guys wore so it's like a thing we just don't know about the average person. Well, it's the optics. It's it's the lighting. He'll tell you. It makes your eyes pop. Really does. So if I go into work tomorrow with eyeliner, people are going to be more impressed with me. Just be careful because you may get an unwanted promotion. I want a promotion. Well, in that case, just you know, little little mascara goes a long way. I'm just telling you, it's like it's the. It, I think it's going to be the new power tie. So in rock, <laughs> in Rockstar, did Mark Wahlberg wear eyeliner? He did actually, and it was met with with scorn and an ostracism. Is it actually something in the that happened in the in the movie, or is it because he's an actor and they do the makeup anyways? And you just you no, no. It? There's specifically a scene in the movie where he's fixing a photocopier yep. in, in the office, and somebody comes up to him and they're like, "Are are you wearing eyeliner?" And he's like, I'm in a band. Seemed like a good enough excuse. I, back then, yeah, it would have been the, the hall pass, I guess, is the right so, word for it. So if they made a new rock star, who would you want? Like, uh, let's say your favorite rock star. Who would you want them to make the next rock star movie about, like based on? Um, guitars like, from Killswitch. The guitars from Killswitch. Yeah. Why is he special? Because he's funny. He's a very, very, very funny man. Just like stand-up comedian, does he go on the on tour? He opens up with a little bit, or yeah. Every time I've seen him on stage, he's done something wacky. Uh, started playing badminton by throwing a bad birdies into the crowd in the middle of the set. Um, he usually says really outlandish stuff while on stage. So he's just going out there having fun. Yeah, exactly. I don't know, Matt. You just showed me that video of Joe Walsh. The guitar player and what well, would you just a guitar player from the Eagles? Yeah, he I also he did, singer, some he did some solo stuff. Life's been good, Rocky Mountain Way. He uh, he basically recounts for the person interviewing him like his struggles with dr- drug addiction mm-hmm. and what it took for him to play shows. And he said, I believe he said it was a concoction of cocaine, vodka, <laughs> and light Camel cigarettes. Yeah, and that was a just re- light cigarettes though. Just the, yeah. If it was the regular, no chance. I mean, not hitting the you, stage. You don't want to go overboard, right? You still got to be able to play. And well, if you smoke like anything above light camels, you're <laughs> fucked. So you just got to be sensible. Well, I mean, he he kind of he kind of had his concoction come to an end after 30 years. Yeah. Well, Andrew, do you have anyone in specific? I you? would love to see a bio doc on Motley Crue and just like the cocaine and hooker parties that those guys used to throw after shows. Could only imagine. Like it, it, that would have to have an X rating. It'd have to be X rating, and I think they can actually. They have already some scenes filmed, or at least Tommy Lee has some scenes filmed. <laughs> oh no, Vince Neil too. 
Oh, okay. So they but got he's some... on a oh, and they're both on boats. Interesting. Hey guys, you're listening to The Unwritten Rule. If you haven't guessed from the intro, we're talking about rock stars today. The unwritten rules of being a rock star in particular. Yeah! I think that's part of it. You need to have a, a sweet scream. I can't be a rock star. My scream stinks. I think if you put in some effort, everything takes a little bit of practice, right? So I guess the first thing you see when you see a rock star, it's their image or their persona. Like, who are they? Like, what's the most important thing? The first thing you'll see is their their clothing. You're going to see their appearance, how they look. So what, as a rock star, what do you do? Do you go over the top? Do you keep it mild? Do you go with just like a current trend? I think I think one of the unwritten rules is that, you know, you have to have costumes that, I think there's two versions of every person in terms of their clothing. Mm-hmm. There's the person they are in everyday life, and then there's the person that they are on stage. So, like, the characters that they create. Like, a perfect example of that is somebody like David Bowie. David Bowie lives in a world where David Bowie isn't the first person he was. He was Davy Jones, and then he became an artist who made really cutting-edge music, cutting-edge looks for artists, and he developed characters that were offshoots of the character he created as an artist. So you're telling me after a show he would clean up all the makeup and dress like a normal person? Well, no, that, that he wouldn't. He would dress like somebody who was extremely on the deep end of, of like high fashion. He was always in the best suits. He was always wearing what was on the cutting edge. He'd wear shit that people would only wear on a runway. So he kept in with the fashion, like he was on the cutting edge of the fashion. I think he's ahead of the curve. Yeah, he's ahead. Yeah. trendsetter. Trendsetter. We call him. So I think it's it's like somebody like well, it, I, I guess it depends on your sound too. It's it's got to make sense. You, you don't want to peacock outside of your sound. Well, so you're saying if you're in like a metal band, don't dress up like in Armani suits or something. No, unless that's your stick. I mean, look at the big mighty mighty Boston's. I mean, those guys used to tour with like two thousand suits. I remember the singer saying. Like that, Even that's Roger just... Waters, I mean, like bass player for Pink Floyd. I've seen him come out wearing an Armani, full Armani suit, a Rolex watch, and you know he plays Dark Side of the Moon for an hour. What about if you're, let's say, an opera singer, though? You can't wear the torn jeans and that baggy shirt. It depends on the, the – I've seen metal opera singers that come out like vixens. I think it would be pretty metal to see just in general a regular – like picture if Pavarotti ever came out just wearing ripped jeans – you know, um, what about jogging pants? If you wear jogging pants, oh, that's where you have to be no, concerned. No, who's the lure tracks? <laughs> who's the was it Andrea Bocelli? The the blind one would be yeah. nice if he's like, uh, you know, because he can't see if if uh, the guy that dresses him or his stylist was like, this is gonna look bellissimo, and, it, and it's like a lime green tracksuit that something like <laughs> Run DMC would rock. <laughs> I love how you I love how you somehow were able to shoehorn in bellissimo into that. But I, so what I'm gathering from you guys is there's nothing concrete you can do whatever you want when it comes to clothing louder the better i guess peacock 
I think if you're in a rock band, the male needs to be able to rock the no shirt. I think that's like a staple to a rock star. I think that's per, on stage, though. Yeah, on stage. I don't see, I don't see you like driving around town or on the tour bus no shirtless unless you're in the middle of a heat wave and your AC is broken. Doesn't Anthony Kiedis go around shirtless a lot, the Chili Peppers? Anthony Kiedis is his own special person. But yeah, he, he is, is a rock star. He is a rock star. Robert Plant was big into the just the leather vest. Yeah. Their suede vest. Well, yeah, and I mean, if if guy walks down the street wearing nothing but a tube sock, you're like, lock this pedophile up. Flea does it, you're like... Man, there goes Flea. He's a trendsetter. Mm-hmm. I mean, even even a guy like Kanye. Kanye found a way to like make a perfect marriage between the shit he would wear on stage and the shit he wears in public. His and wife? He, well, no. I mean, he's a designer, right? Like, I mean, I'm sure at some points Kim's dressed him up, but... Now, do you get some, I guess, some tolerance from people when you're just kind of a little bit out there? You're a rock star. You're allowed to come out with some crazy clothing, even though a normal person wouldn't wear it? Because Kanye's stuff... Doesn't seem like I'd want to wear it, but people buy it. Two words. Meat dress. Meat dress. Oh, yeah. The Gaga look. When Ga- Gaga wore a dress made of meat in protest of like killing animals, but it was considered clothing. Could you cook yeah. that meat eventually? I-, I don't know if you'd want to cook something somebody was sweating in all day. But you cook it. Yeah, get rid of all yeah. that bacteria. I mean, so I'm sure somebody out there would be willing to bid on the steak jacket that she wore. And you got to think it's practical. It's a two-in-one, right? So you can use it one day as clothing, and if you're hungry, you get caught on, you know, a deserted island? I don't understand the statement, though. I don't like that you kill animals for meat, so I'm going to wear dead animal. Isn't that kind of the opposite of what you're trying to do? I, I think they were synthetic. I don't think it was actual oh, animal. Oh, uh, okay. But, but going along with the appearance. I think shooting lamb chop in the head on a viral video would have been far more effective. <laughs> just in the middle of that song that doesn't end? <laughs> yeah. just, just, oh, yeah, lamb chop. It's over chop. now, bitch. What's, what's the next verse, lamb chop? But anyways, continuing back on to the appearance. So clothing, we more or less, it's a wash. You can wear whatever you want. Pretty well, well. I think Prince, like, that guy used to come out and, and, like, heels thicker than, like, your girlfriend. And, like, nobody would question how much of a man that guy was. Yeah. Luca's girlfriend is pretty thick. Mm. Tick, I call her. <laughs> no, but anyways, so going on, <laughs> hairstyle. What kind of hairstyle is acceptable? As You want to be a rock star, a big rock star? What kind of hairstyle? I'd say hairspray, teased. I think teased. you got. I think it's got to fit your music. Like yeah. that's. I think that's kind of one of the the unwritten rules of of anything in your personal sort of makeup is mm-hmm. that whatever you do, have it fit the scope of whatever. You, if your music's crazy, your hair can be crazy. Yeah, don't look like poison mid eighty eight when it's like twenty seventeen and your sound is very grun, not grungy, very like modern rock. Yeah. But is it like a rock star when you're just trying to go into what people expect, you know? I think, imagine you're in a punk band, you know, everyone's got mohawks, you know, colored hair, and you came out with just like a side part, you know, crew cut. Well, you you, you right. mentioned it earlier today when you were talking about, um, well, uh, what's the lead singer from uh, Weezer? Rivers oh, Cuomo. Rivers Cuomo. Yeah. I mean, the guy, he almost was devoid of personality. You know, but in a way, that was kind of the makeup of, the, like, that was the brand image for Weezer. But in a way, because you kind of associate, like, they're almost like the nerdy punks. But would they not be a bigger band? Let's say Rivers Cuomo was, like, some sort of head case and he was out there crazy hairstyles and all. Wouldn't he be a bigger rock star? I don't think so. I don't even know if, like, you qualify him as, when you think of a rock star, when you compare, like, Rivers Cuomo to Robert Plant or Keith Richards, 
they're not even in the same ballpark. Not I'm not talking music wise. I'm just talking as a rock star. I mean, how important really is hair? Because like the deeper into your career, I look at somebody like Ronnie James Dio. Yeah, you know, he started going bald and he just wouldn't let the locks go. Yeah, he had the Hogan going. Yeah, I mean, yeah. if if I think maybe one of the rules could be that you know if you're badass enough, you don't need to worry about your hair. You yep. can literally do whatever you want with it. Look at those bald guys like uh, Tom Morello. Oh, remember the lead singer from Static X? Yes. And the guy from Disturbed was bald, too. Yeah. No I think hair. he still is. I think he still is bald. Yeah, yeah. I think bald. He hasn't, he hasn't reneged on that. Good for him. Staying with it. Yeah, I think bald, going bald is just a steady look for a rock star. Oh, yeah, Static X. I remember that. Yeah, yeah that I guy's think... hair had, like, uh, needed an elevator to the top. Yeah. It was, it was, it was the, the equivalent of a white man's high top. Yes. Hmm. So I'm thinking it's not the image... You just have to do what suits you, whatever you want. Yeah, you got to own it. Whatever it is, just rock it. I I just think when you go too far for the peacocking, it takes away from the sound. Well, yeah, you don't want to be guar. (laughs) What about like Slipknot with like masks? But that that was but that was part of the that was part of. I I think if without that, they would have sounded like a lot of bands at that time. Everyone knew them for their their music was was different enough. You think? Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I could see it both. Well, at least maybe it's a personal thing for me. I wouldn't have, they wouldn't have stood out to me as much. I probably wouldn't have listened to them as intently if it wasn't for the the gimmick. But So I guess nothing really sticks out particularly in a rock star. It's, it's your own style. You do your own thing. I think it's like what Frank said. The sound is going to kind of dictate. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, unwritten rule. Fit, fit within your sound. Fit within your sound? Yeah. I definitely don't like band unison. Like that in terms of like a hairstyle, like I yes, I, that is an unwritten rule. Do not all like different styles. What Just about like Kiss up. though? No, no, but they changed it up. The like, jeans like tied up the top, and you okay. know, have like, some variety. Maybe keep a similar. Paul theme, Stanley had but like have, the chest fro going, and that was different. Have something unique about yourself. Like think of how silly. I, don't get me wrong; they're the greatest band that ever lived. But think of how silly that album cover of the Beatles looks. Where they all have the same haircut. It's the black and white photos done by that German photographer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it just seems silly. I get there's a symmetry and that was the, that was the time. But like nowadays, I th- yeah, modern modern day, I'd say like seventies on. You, you you have to pave your own way with with. Okay. The, the big thing is don't be like Good Charlotte, where you're tatted up from head to toe and you look like a real badass, but you're mm-hmm. playing like pop rock, really What's, corny, corny pop rock. So I guess the unwritten rule is have. Your image fit your music. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Don't be good, Charlotte. Don't don't be the band that should be in like a, an issue of Teen Tiger mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and look like you belong on the cover of Inked. Yeah, you know. And an important thing about being a rock star is your legend. How do you let your legend grow? Is it through your your drugs, your the oh. sex, the alcohol? Do you AIDS and die before thirty? Die before thirty. No, come on. Live fast, die young, baby. (laughs) Well, you're just going with Freddie Mercury, which is one of the greatest rock stars. Easy E. Yeah, I mean, I think think tragic death goes a long way to helping some people. It it does. I I shouldn't be the standard. But yeah, I I tend to think that it seems like the ones we almost immortalize are this like timely losses. But then there's guys like Mick Jagger, Keith Richards, Rolling Stones. The who are still around. But don't get me wrong. There's exceptions to every rule. They'll never die. They survived 2016. I'm convinced they'll outlive me. I know that I know that Luke is a big fan of Kurt Cobain, and mm-hmm. I'm not like trying to trash the band. I do like their music, not as much as some of like their hardcore fans would. But yeah. I definitely think somebody like Kurt Cobain's legend was improved or or 
helped along because he died at 27. When you think about it, they uh, have, I think so. 100%. It's 100% the fact. What do they have? Three studio albums and then a, a bunch four? of like out like the B sides of an incesticide was a B side. Do you consider Unplugged in New York an album? No, that was the an old album. Bleach, never mind. Bleach in and Utero. Lithium. That's my favorite. Oh, lithium is a song. Yes, that's right. Oh, Unplugged was one, but then there's Incesticide and yeah, then there's a bunch of live albums that came out after yeah. the past. So yeah, it might have helped him. It definitely but, did. Well, definitely. You don't know of, what he would have come out with. But that genre He might have been a bigger down. legend after in the future. Or his sound could have gone to complete shit with the changing of times. Yeah. But it could have gone better because everyone... I've heard from people, I mean, I guess interviews, that some of the stuff Kurt was writing at the time was next level. Yeah, it was the first Foo Fighters' first album. No, Dave Grohl wrote that. <laughs> shot, shot, <laughs> shots fired. He's getting so mad. Yeah, definitely. Well, the first Foo Fighters album is great. I'd like to get, I like it, but too, I, Dave Grohl deserves a credit on that. I think a good no, unwritten rule there is create your legend and not your demise. If your demise happens to happen and it stops a meteoric rise, like in, like what, like somebody like Jeff Buckley. Mm-hmm. Jeff Buckley's first mm-hmm. album, critically received well, adored by fans. Still, they're, like it has a breath with people every time... That song, Hallelujah, gets covered. People don't go, oh, man, I really love Leonard Cohen's version. They go, I love Jeff Buckley's version. And yeah, it was a really good version. Yeah. I think I think it's better as an unwritten rule to aim for creating your creating a legend as opposed to your demise. So when you hear people, because now we have social media before they didn't. So I'm thinking, you know, the Stones, they've lived through everything from what we know. But those stories might have been, maybe they were embellished. Maybe they weren't. Maybe Gene Simmons, maybe he didn't have sex with the whole world. I'm not sure. Well, I mean, he, he got to me. He got to a lot of people. I'm not saying he didn't. But I feel like because there's a lack of social media back then and lack of news and 24-hour news and websites, I feel like stories might have been embellished. Do you let those stories get embellished now? Or do you maybe denounce them? Maybe try not to? I don't know. I think back then, I I find it hard to believe that any of that stuff would be like what's the benefit of embellishing some of those stories like you know you could create one story but like when you've got multiple stories well here here's a perfect example like i don't know i think a good unwritten rule for that is let your story spread under like the principle of a bad game of broken telephone I do think some of the stories may, yeah, that's what I was going to say. Yeah, like I think some of the stories may have been escalated. Like, uh, who was it? Elton John with the TV out the window. I think maybe the party wasn't as wild as they say it was. Yeah. But, you know, it turns into this whole thing like he trashed the whole floor worth of rooms. And Well, a lot of times when people just tell regular stories, they're going to embellish them somewhat. And then you hear someone ask a rock star in an interview. Did this really happen? Then they kind of laughed. Like, it wasn't exactly like that, you know. And, yeah, wasn't it Zeppelin with the fish? There was a, a fan with the defi- facing or defiling with the fish or something. I I can't speak to Zeppelin, but what I can give you is the Aussie top five. Ah, that is a good top five. If anybody wants to hear it really quick. I'd like quick. to hear that. So at number one, obviously, is him biting the head off a live bat. At the time, he claims he didn't know it was a live bat. He said that in interviews after. Yep. But, I mean, he, for about 30 years, let it go let it go without that correction where mm-hmm. he just basically let people believe they had brought a bat on stage for him to bite the head off. To of. be fair, he was probably coked out for most of those 30 years. So when he sobered up, he probably realized, Oh, it was a lie. Oh, we're, we're, <laughs> we're definitely going to get to him being drugged up. But, uh, in the number two, he fought a naked, uh, he fought a, somebody robbing his home while he was naked in 1982 <laughs> and doesn't claim to remember doing it. Um, 
he snorted a line of ants. Now, this story is retold by Motley Crue. Yeah. But <laughs> he was coming off a tour bus and saw a popsicle stick on the ground that was covered in ants, and he picked it up and snorted it. Kind of like a, a funny sub story to that about broken telephones and letting urban legends get out of control. The story I had heard in high school from people who were big Aussie fans was that he snorted a line of cocaine, PCP, and sprinkled in heroin that was mm. three feet long and went blind for five days. <laughs> that seems like that's a dead. bit extreme. Yeah, I mean, like I don't, I don't know, I don't know the science behind doing something like that. But the ants I buy though, because I mean, the singer of my old band, it, you know, just a half forty of Jaeger in, he snorted a line of rockets. Okay, coming in at number. <laughs> <laughs> I have video. <laughs> I would like to see this after we record. The, the candy. We're talking about the game, not like yeah, rocket, yeah, not not like, rocket powder or anything. Yeah, uh, yeah. Number four, he peed on the Alamo and was ultimately banned from ever playing again in San Antonio. But number five is the one that I love the most. He was at a dinner with executives from CBS Europe in Germany. And at some point, because he was so high and drunk, decided to strip at the table, get on the table, goose step on the table like a Nazi in front of the exec and then proceeded to try to make out with him. Subsequently, the next day, they were banned from German airways. That's a good way to get out of the tour. Yeah, Germany is still very sensitive about that. I think, I think another unwritten rule, denounce anything that could be potentially career damaging. But but maybe that's partially what brought him up a level. It's like, did you see what this crazy bastard did this week? Could be. Yeah, it was part of the crazy. I mean, when you have a song called Crazy Train, and it's like you got stories to back it up. I retract my unwritten rule. Yeah, there there was a story. Maybe about- the unwritten rule is. No press is bad press. Let it happen. Mm-hmm. Let let the phone break. Where's it, Matt? There was a story uh, Black Sabbath was telling once. It was about jokes they used to play on each other while they were on the road and whatnot. And one of them, they had a girl shove something yellow up her... Hoo-ha? You know, her hoo-ha, for better lack of terms. You can say and, v- vaginal canal is also acceptable. Sure. Anyways, when she went to hook up with one of the band members and... He saw a yellow thing in there. He freaked out. Mm-hmm. Little did they know it was all part of a arousing plan to scare the drummer. It seems elaborate. Yeah. And gross. Now, Very. that's a different kind of ping pong show. Mm-hmm. So I guess the unwritten rule is let the rumor spread. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think without stories like this, as embellished as some of them may be, it, 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 I think it adds to the legacy. It's like well, the myth. Yeah, the, yeah, that's it. The myth, the when legend. When you sit down and have to like describe what the craziest rock and roll star of all time is, if they got stuff like this in their locker, it's going to be pretty hard to argue against them. Yeah, I mean, like we said, Joe Walsh, king of trashing hotel rooms. Like Anthony. That guy's just surprising. I, I would have never have imagined Joe Walsh to be... As wild as he was? Yeah. It's the, the low-key guys. The guys that are really mellow probably well, have the craziest stories, right? Tom Petty. Yeah? Yeah. He seems oh, like yeah. a guy that would be my professor during the day and rock out at night. No, they uh, <laughs> they were in Amsterdam. Good story about that. They were in Amsterdam doing a show because at the time when they started, they were huge in Europe, not as big in the States. Anyways, the Germans are really serious about bringing that stuff over from Amsterdam. Mm-hmm. They about ended the up, rock and roll? Yeah, that, exactly. They ended up having to eat a whole block of hash. <laughs> and had to go perform on like a talk show <laughs> in German TV. Oh, my God. That's like essentially being a mule. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I guess for social media, 
you're not going to post stuff to correct your your you know these rumors that might go out of control. So nah, no press is bad press unless it's career damaging. Okay, so well, I guess that's on. one of the reasons to use social media. So as a rock star, how do you use social media? We're also talking about stories from like back in the day before this stuff existed. You don't see a lot of this kind of stuff now. With I think like bands oh. today are really. I think they've learned from the mistakes of bands prior. Except for the no, drug use. they haven't. Okay, let's okay. hear it. Okay, so pretty much with social media, it's either you're using it responsibly or you're not. And either way, like you said, there is no such thing as bad publicity. Kanye West, again, I hate to use him, but he's notorious for his, his Twitter rants. With the current rock star, I feel it's almost the thing to be a new rock star is to be anti-rock star. Because there's a, a, a moment... Uh, where pop music is jumping on the rock star bandwagon, mm-hmm. you know, party like a rock star to like a dance beat. Yeah. I think the rock stars kind of just, they don't like it anymore. It's changed. They don't want to be that typical rock star. They, there was that period of emo music where they were like big drug users, but like on that really like depressing. They, they just made shitty music. Usually drug use should make the music better. Matt, you, you, think? Said, Matt you said it changed. How did it change? Because... The new big wave of things, it's hip-hop. Hip-hop, like, if you follow rappers and you follow their social media, they're the ones that are partying and being crazy with, you know, you hear the stories or people talk about tour bus trappers that that essentially are people selling drugs out of their tour bus. Like, wow. the hip-hop has become the new rock star, whereas rock bands, it's not as big as hip-hop anymore. There's not as much money. You don't. It's not as glorified. But hip-hop now... It's crazy. Like you follow these guys on social media, and they're you see them smoking joints, and you see cocaine hookers and sh- shit like that. It's that glorified lifestyle. I'm following the wrong people. Yeah, it's you got to remember where the genre of rap is and what they glorify compared to what rock now glorifies. So is rap the new rock? Essentially, in a way, yes. I blame. I'm, I'm going to blame the uh, the Jay Z Lincoln Park mashup for that. <laughs> I think it was like a transfer of the baton. <laughs> it's on you guys. <laughs> well, I mean. Blondie sort of did it back in the day. She had that one yeah, song where she, she did. you know, and she was kind of like she the transition from from like predominantly male led bands to yeah. It was that 1970s New York punk scene. I am not aware of what Blondie is done. Oh, Bl- Blondie Blondie came up through CBGB, which is like a historic kind of club that broke a yeah, bunch yeah, of yeah. bands in New York and uh she obviously had that. I can't. Remember, the song's escaping my name right now. I know what song you're talking about. It's on the tip of my tongue. I can't think of the name. Rapture. But it was, yeah. That's oh man, it. that was going to drive me nuts. <laughs> uh, well played. But yeah, she she was one of the first and to do that kind of cross genre sort of thing, and especially involving rap. And all right, so I guess with your social media, you want to I guess I guess make your legend a little bigger, smoke up, as you say, as these current rock stars are doing. Sorry. I have a good unwritten rule for, for social media. What's that? Hire a team. Yeah. That's, that's it. That's it right there because you're so busy touring and doing everything, you shouldn't have to worry about that. And it's almost less cool if you're actually on your phone tweeting. Right. And to go to what he was saying, like, you know, hire a team for I honestly wonder how much of those rappers and, and even some of the rock stars that do, how much of that is, like, fabricated or staged? I was just about to say, I bet it's all calculated. Right. Yeah, and it's like, and, and there's, a, there's a smart marketing team and PR team there because, like, it's hard to sell music now. Because you, you had said something interesting, Matt, where you were like, there's pictures of them with, like, women and cocaine mm-hmm. and whatever. Yeah. But it's like, I'm, I'm not, like, I'm not saying I've ever been to a party where there's been scantily clad women and cocaine, but I imagine that 
probably the best picture you'd get out of that is just those things not interacting with each other. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm sure it's all planted and or it's like, to cause 20, tone up the illusion of what they are, right? 20 minutes to an hour down the road, the next photo, that's what I want to see. Yeah. yeah. So I guess going on to another big section of being a rock star, it's the tour. You're on tour. And since we're talking about social media, you got to talk to people. How about we talk about meeting people in person when you're on tour? Do you, you say hi to everyone? Do you go to these signings? What do you do to keep with your fans in person? Well, I don't think you have a choice about the signings. I mean, you got to do well, a lot do. of, you got to do a lot of press. Again, it's, it's hard to sell music in today's landscape. Uh, so you're saying you got to interact you're, with people direct, so you can't control that. But I that's mean, if you're under a record label, right? Even if you're independent, you're trying to meet as many people to, I mean, nowadays artists have direct relationships with fans before there was this barrier. And that's why I think rockstarism has kind of changed a little bit because of things like social media. Before you were going on stories of like crazy shit happening on tour, whereas now you're kind of... And and as Matt pointed out, it's getting a glimpse of it through their Instagram yeah, page or their Snapchat, Snapchat yeah, yeah. right? As staged as it may be or may not be, but there's definitely more of a relationship with the fan to the artist. I still think there's things that are definite holdovers. Like if your band gets to a certain size, it's just impossible for you to interact with your fans. Like my yes. unwritten rule was if your band gets big enough, don't interact with your fans. A, a great example of it is somebody like the Beatles. They got to a point where like even just doing something as simple and as standard for a band as playing a show couldn't be done because their fans were so crazed by them. Is it one of those things that when gets you're harder. not when you're not when you're bigger, absolutely. When you're not interacting as much, isn't it? Like a thing where people you they know, the people more. that might get their they Yeah, they want more. more, they get their jitters out when they see you live at a signing, but now that you're not doing these signings, they're going nuts when they see you and you can't hear your music. I, I think I to the point of like a signing, a signing is kind of engineered. So oh, completely, that's so, not by choice. You know, if me and Matt go line up to get the autograph of whoever on the latest LP that they've released, me and him are in line and, you know, we get to the front and they're going to sign because they've just been shredding away. You might get a, hey, how's it going in there? Yeah. Most of the time, a lot of those signings are because you bought a special ticket, which is giving them more money. Yeah. Or you may get lucky and hear how they genuinely feel when you say, how's it going? And they're like, I hate my life. Has yeah. that happened? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Or has no, it just been you personally? Me. It's just me personally, but I say that most <laughs> days. <laughs> I think as a rock star, though, an unwritten rule is if you bump into people in the streets and you interact with your fans in a non-formalized capacity, every time you say, don't say no. Because yeah, every, be every time you say no to a, an, uh, an autograph or a photo, mm-hmm. you have, I think, lost a fan. Oh yeah. yeah, and and their followers and and everybody on on Twitter, it's like just bumped into so and so. He's a real dick. Yeah, they get the picture of you walking away. Yeah, like I I totally stonewalled. get that. Like I totally get that. You don't want to say no. You don't want the perception or the word to get out that you can be. You're a bit of a jerk or, or whatnot. But I do also understand the fact of saying no. I mean, imagine going to the store and every ten seconds to fifteen to a minute, someone's coming up I, saying, "Hey, can I have a photo? Can I have a photo? Can I have an autograph? I've can I do a, this?" I've like, got an unwritten rule for that. Sense of ability to have a normal life yeah unwritten rule you know that getting into the game deal with it yeah i understand that yeah. but nobody's point, telling you to release an album to the public you can write that shit and release it in your own basement to you and your wife or your but girlfriend. at some point if this is every day you're saying you would just willingly say yes all the time you wouldn't get annoyed to the point where you go you know what i'm busy i can't 
I was gonna say unwritten rule: wear a fucking mask. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> well, you need, you need glasses. Nito. You need glasses and a hat. That's a yeah. standard. Like, Go incognito on a mustache. If that's the case, but other than that, you're you know what you're signing up for. No, I meant I meant performing, like like be like a Daft oh. Punk or a Slipknot. Oh, wear wear something that maintain. If you are that concerned with your public, your sorry, your personal life, maintain your anonymity. Be a superhero. Wear a fucking mask. Now I have a question because I've ran into a couple famous people. And I've never asked for a photo because I don't want the lid to be blown off that there's someone there that's famous and important and have other people run into them. Do you think that should onus should be on a fan to some degree to say he's in a massive public place, super populated. I'm not going to ask for the photo. Just the meet and greet like, hey, what's up? Good enough. I think you're uh, dying to say something, Frank. (laughs) No, Matt. Matt saved himself when he said public place that was crowded because I was going to. I was going to basically imply (laughs) that he was trying to meet people through their windows. (laughs) (laughs) No, he learned about that one with the first restraining order. You see him dangling on a tree branch, (laughs) Mr. Bono. Can you sign this? (laughs) So I guess you're meeting fans now. You need people to kind of protect you. You need people to come on the road with you because there are some crazy fans. There are people that don't understand, like you. I, I know the instance you're talking about when you saw Terrence Ross and you weren't sure if it was him, but you don't want to Actually, I was talking about Steve Stamkos. Oh, Stamkos. I went to a Jay-Z and Justin Timberlake concert, and okay. it was at the Sky Dome, and we were right in front of Gate 5 for anyone that's been there. And it was G- Steve Stamkos, Teddy Purcell, James Neal, and a few other guys. Mm-hmm. And I went up and I talked to Stamkos, and I thought about getting a photo. But I saw all the people around him, and he was looking around, too, that I just let it go. He's not a rock star, though. He's a, he's a hockey player. No, but again, outside he's, got fame. Tam- he's got fame. Outside of Tampa and anywhere in Canada, do you think Steve Stamkos has a hard time buying a box of cereal? I don't think he has a no, problem in Tampa just, either, to be honest with you. I, there's no, like, probably not. There's, <laughs> there's like one hockey player in the history of hockey players who's handled fame with any level of panache, and that's a very, Wait, no, a very mediocre hockey player in Paul Bissonnette. Yeah. Like everyone else, they, they act like, uh, you know, that this shouldn't come with the territory. Mm-hmm. They act like they can't be approached in public. No, he was super friendly and approachable. I just didn't want to ask the yeah. photo because I didn't want people to turn and be looking at him like, oh my God, I got to go get a photo. But you had some restraint, but there are the fans that, you know, don't have that restraint. So you're going to need to hire some groupies. They're going to, they're going to get your... Do you hire groupies? Is that... Wait, what, what am I thinking? Am I thinking groupies? Or I, I, I think, think you're roadies. mistaking, I think, I think I think you're mistaking no, hookers for groupies. No, I think what you're actually talking about is security. I'm talking about, well, the roadies, right? The guys who come on the road. Yeah, yeah very different than groupies, Luca. Very, very different. I, I, Unless that's what you're what you're about, and that's cool, too. I actually have a definition here for, for groupies, if okay. you guys want let's to go to, Let's go to groupies Because it's interesting. We'll I, about roadies you, you brought it up. Let's, let's, let's go, go to there. Yeah. I thought it was a, a sexualized thing. I thought 100%. Based based on the movie Almost Famous, I thought they were girls that hung around the band to sleep with them. That's what I thought. I I grew up on that belief. Don't ruin it for me. But as of 1965, the the kind of ruling, the official terminology was, given this definition, a person, especially a young woman, who regularly follows a pop music group or other form of celebrity in the hopes of meeting or getting to know them, an enthusiast or uncritical follower – the, the term was apparently coined by Bill Wyman, basis for the Rolling Stones, and it only appears one other time before his coining, and it's in uh, Mary McCarthy's 1943 novel, The Company She Keeps, which I, I've never read and don't know if it's related to girls following bands, but... 
And so I'm pretty sure they're clothed in the novel. So when we went to, we saw the chili peppers in Toronto and Ottawa, were we, are we now considered groupies of the Red Hot Chili Peppers? No, that's it, more it, like, that's more like being mm. a deadhead. Like when you, like there's, there's people who are loyalists to a band and will follow them on a tour. Mm-hmm. The closest comparable that I can think of is when the Grateful Dead were a band. Their fans, they had loyal groups of fans that followed them. They were known as the Deadheads. I don't think they qualify as groupies. But what did yeah, they? Yeah, I don't know. Like, I know. Based on that definition, it seems right? like they You've would. you kind of like, you like kind telling of, me Santa Claus isn't real. Because uh, you're right. Uh, spoiler alert again. We, this two weeks in a row, we have to throw that one out there. Sorry. We all. <laughs> sorry, children under the age of four. Sorry, any kids that are listening in the car while we say F-bombs. And- <laughs> if that's the case, let's have a little word with the parents. <laughs> Wait, you know back. what? You know what, guys? In light of this new knowledge, I have a great unwritten rule. Groupies are not just for you to have sex with. But they can. You can. Well, they can. Yes. There wasn't anything that said you can't. Okay. But But not just. It's, yeah. They're there to love your band. So so meaning you don't have to sleep with them for them to get the groupie designation. Okay. So so now we're going to talk on the other point, the roadie. Who is the guy... What kind of roadie do you want as a rock star? Do you, oh, you want the, the, the professional guy that's going to get your equipment there? Or, you know, the fun guy that might have forgot your guitar in, you know, Atlanta? <laughs> There's nothing <laughs> fun about that. Atlanta. But he's a fun guy. <laughs> he's a good guy. Crazy. I think you would put him in the groupie section, the fun guy, bring him out that way. You're not or, flying groupies, though. Well, groupies make their the way thing, to you. The thing with roadies is there's different... Like when it comes to roadies, there's different job responsibilities. I think anybody that's handling the the gear itself mm-hmm. needs to be very proficient and professional in what they do. Yeah. Like they like set for up- me, for example, I would want my guy taking care of my guitar, make sure it's set up, strings are there, everything's in tune. Yeah, completely. If he wants to act like an ass clown after that, as long as I'm set up to go on stage, I don't care. Yeah, time and place for it. your roadies got to be doing their job when it's mattered and needed. But yeah. once the show's done, you want to have your roadies be pretty good guys that you can hang out with and have fun with, right? Uh, like a Chris Farley from Wayne's World 2. Yeah, yeah, I think unwritten rule is they've got to be professional in the sense that, like, I mean, people are paying to come see your band. Like, you can't, and if you're missing a guitar. Yeah, they're, you can't give them a show of a 7 out of 10. you got to give them a 10. They're paying good money for it. 100%. So, so yeah. I... Oh, sorry. I was going to just say my little unwritten rule for that was treat them like family. They're vital to your success. They re- you're with them all the time. You're you're on the road for how many months at a time, even years at a time. So I agree with that rule. That's a good rule. Yeah. And then going to your point about you know not trying to rip your fans off. What about your stage show? What do you do as as a rock star? You want to show people you are it because as a rock star you have to have that ego. So what kind of show do you put on? Do you have to have crazy lights? Do you need a big stadium show? Can you do just a small venue? Do what Ramstein does. Lots of fire. Lots and lots and <laughs> lots. Oh, yeah. That's it's, all about It's entertaining. I think the budget kind of dictates in the size of the venue. Some bands can afford to do a bigger show, you but, know? But are you like, okay, let's say you don't have the money. Do you have to make up for it in another way? Like, I see videos of... Eddie Vedder, you know, jump climbing up stuff and jumping into the crowd. Maybe, maybe when he was in his early twenties. Yeah, he's exactly. Not doing that now now well, he's <laughs> got money now, so he can make up for it with light shows. Now he drinks wine on stage and bangs tambourines that he throws into the crowd at the end, or brings on an amazing guest for the end of the show, or sounds, does an amazing cover. I love him. Sounds bougie. He is pretty fantastic. <laughs> I, I think you got to bring high energy. Okay, so like yeah. we're talking about, if you're dirt poor, you got to bring high energy. With whatever's in your budget, a pretty cool stage design, 
you got your lead singer's got to have some moves. I think everybody in the band has to have some moves. Charisma. I mean, a perfect example, Pete Townsend from The Who didn't need an expensive light show or, you know, video tech video in the background or fireworks on stage to be able to power slide across a stage mm-hmm, mm-hmm. or do the windmill the windmill so, strums you it, know? and it came with the energy right that's probably where it came from you yeah. just, like, just want to shred he's gonna like whip his arm around in a windmill like he yeah. does like while, while while roger daltrey's screaming the end part of we don't get fooled again you know he's power sliding across the stage and getting ready to smash his guitar while keith moon's going absolutely bonkers on the drums i got an unwritten rule have a signature move. <laughs> the stage slide will forever be known for uh, Pete Townsend's done it. Andrew, what would be your signature move? Because you played guitar. You were in a band. I tried to stay in tune was my signature. <laughs> you know, to, like, to kind of go back to it, I think the best shows that I can think of wasn't about lights. It wasn't about any of the outside stuff. It was the best sounding band, like See, the tightest. Because you're really, you know what you're talking about when you go to a concert. You know where the sound sounds better. Not everyone does. Some people can go to the worst venue and have a great time because that doesn't bother them. They don't pick up on the same stuff you do. Right. And I mean, I've seen bands that I ended up liking that I've seen live that I just thought I'd never want to hear this again because this was terrible. Mm -hmm. But then I hear them on album or a streaming track and they were amazing. And it's just like you got to the first thing you invest in with a live show and a tour is a very good sound guy. Makes sense. Unwritten yeah, rule, if you want to call that. Yeah. Zepp- Zeppelin stopped coming to Toronto because they had a really, really nightmarish experience at Maple Leaf Gardens where, you know, the sound guy must have fucked something up and they knew they sounded like shit, so they just stopped coming back. Damn. We, Toronto lost out on... The place we live did, got like two Zeppelin shows. Imagine going to one of those. You could say, I, I saw Zeppelin in Toronto, which is rarer than anywhere else, probably. I, actually, the more more I hear from people here that have actually seen them live said they saw them with uh, Jethro Tull in Montreal. Oh, wow. That's crazy. Which, I mean, if, you like, if you're into jazz, flute. Yeah, in terms of moves, I was, never cool, I was never cool enough to have a move. <laughs> so I, I think you need, as a rock star, you need a move. You need great sound. That's yeah. very important. And maybe some pyrotechnics. Anything you can set on fire is a good thing. Put in some effort to your stage show. Be rememberable in some form or way. Now, if you can't dance, let's, you know how you say you got to dance, Frank? Or if you don't got the moves, really invest in that light show. Or some Roman candles and shoot it at the drummer. Yeah, or have fun with it. Or maybe just learn to fucking dance. I mean, if Mick Jagger can chicken walk on stage and make well, it look cool. See, there's a lot of people when you look at them, if it was a normal person doing it, it would look terrible. I was just about to say, it's Mick Jagger, though. Like, you're not going to say, hey, you look like a jackass. That dancing in the streets music video. Yeah. I mean. Without the audio? Have you seen the one without the audio? It's ridiculous. No, I know. It's probably horrifying. (laughs) It's hilarious. (laughs) I mean, last show I went to, the guitarist ran around the crowd. Literally, while playing the song, he got off stage and ran around everyone. You know what? You remind, by saying run around, you made me think of sitting. Last two years ago, okay. we we went to see Foo Fighters. Dave Grohl from oh, from yeah. a throne, broke his leg. a throne of amps and, and broken guitars, basically put on a great rock show. As a tender, you have to be able to get a hold of your audience and get them moving and get them doing things. You got to be captivating. Agreed. So you have yeah. to give them a great show, and part of that also, you, you, they're buying tickets, right? So what kind of ticket prices do you have? Let's say you're a big rock star now. I'm looking at because I'm looking at a few concerts I didn't go to because of the price of the tickets. So, how do you price your tickets? I don't think the band actually controls that. They I think should. it's the promoters and whoever brings them in. 
And this is why you do prep. Because I'm about to explain to you why bands can't control their ticket prices. They can't or can't. They 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 don't. They get a set fee regardless, right? They can control them for their fans, and I'll explain how. Back in 1992, Pearl Jam took on Ticketmaster. They refused to work under Ticketmaster because they were gouging fans. So what ended up happening was they tried to arrange their own shows. That went tits up the second people started counterfeiting their tickets. Mm -hmm. The answer to that was you have to go back to Ticketmaster. So rather than giving up and just allowing their fans to be gouged, they started a fan club. Well, they had a fan club actually in effect already, the 10 Club. And basically what they did was they implemented a system where their fans had first access to tickets. And there's a flat rate for all their tickets. I think it's I think it's up to eighty five dollars now. Okay. It doesn't matter what ticket you get; it's eighty five dollars, as opposed to anybody who's a true high look, Matt band you like. I don't know all their remains. All, all their remains. First okay. band that came to my mind. Perfect. If if they have a, a show and you know for some reason they're at a smaller venue, those tickets sell out. Are you going to pay a scalper three hundred and fifty dollars for a ticket? No. Okay. If your band had their own fan club and had set up the same sort of system that Pearl Jam has, you could have paid a flat rate at any show in any venue. And you would have had first access because you're a fan. So we're talking about resale. So what are you saying, Andrew, with the ticket prices? That the venue decides whoever brings you there chooses your ticket price? Yeah, my understanding was that, I mean, you always... Like no band goes out and just says I'm going to tour. They have tour managers. They have promoters, they, promotion companies that they work with. They that advise bring them. them. In. Yeah, they advise them. They say, look, you're selling this many albums or this many tracks this in, in Toronto. Money. You need to go tour there because we'll sell out a stadium. And, and a lot of times, bands. I mean, they're going to make the same. They don't make any more or any less show to show outside of what they get on merchandise. So their performance rate is going to be the same. I don't think it's fair to uh, to the fans. Like, I think their responsibility as a rock star, you should give your fans fair prices. Look at Foo Fighters, for example, one of the biggest rock bands in the world. I don't think I've paid over $80, $90 for a ticket, and they're they're huge. And then I look at, I was a, U2 just came, and it was like $230 base price for a ticket. I, I didn't go because of that. One of the things we also got to remember is when we're talking about rock bands, there's not a lot that goes into their show and set, stage setup. But when you're looking at That's a band, but if you look at a band like Bruno Mars or Justin Timberlake, guys like that, where they have moving parts to a stage that come all the way up over top the crowd. The Chili Peppers did it. Remember the Foo Fighters had a rotating stage. No, but he's, yes. I, think, I, think, I think what Matt's talking about more is any of those sort of pop acts, they tend to have a lot of dancers, a lot of extra bodies yes, that a lot are of an extra cost. They also have to yep. cost. They also have more musicians that they play. No, but, but then hey. again, once I'm talking about you too. Well, uh, why is you two two hundred thirty bucks? I think because uh, because Bono's a douchebag. Hang on though, it's also the demographic. A U two fan, let's face it, is probably financially. I, I, I'm just if I look at the brands, well, Foo Fighters a- more like the working class band. Whereas I would see you two as more of a rich audience. They're a, they're a politically not, charged band, and you know they they want to appeal to the common man. They're not. I think it's I think it's what it bears. But if you look at the Foo Fighters, I mean, their secondhand like tickets for aftermarket still crazy. Expensive. Yeah, but that's not in their control. But they can control the face value of the ticket. So I don't I, know if they can or they can't. No, they they definitely can. Uh, it's 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 like literally been proven by a number of bands that. They can determine that all tickets be a standard price. That way there's a level of fairness. And that goes hand in hand with first come, first serve. Well, the Kings of, I remember when Kings of Leon had their first pop, a big album, 
you know, their first album that yeah, came yeah, out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they they were selling the ACC for ticket prices over a hundred dollars. That was their first album. So we're we're talking about a hockey arena holds twenty thousand people, yeah. charging over a hundred dollars. It's it's crazy. So it also depends on their contract too, their label's contract because their album sales they don't necessarily make a lot of money off that. So they might yeah, have to charge more to make their more money on the touring. Still, like There's, my unwritten rule for this was don't gouge your fans. No, definitely oh, definitely not. I agree one hundred percent. I just don't know how much of it is like the Foo Fighters are also in a position now where financially they're really they're really sound. But and in a case like you too, I mean, it, they're financially sound. I don't know if their show costs more or it's just you two wants to make more money because Cold they're older. Play. Coldplay was uh, two hundred bucks a ticket. But that was, I mean, they were playing. He's still under, paying for his divorce to Gwen. That can't be cheap. They were also playing the Rogers Center. It's a bigger venue. Which and, means you can sell more tickets. And there's I'm a sure, lot of moving I, but parts. I'm sure there's. I'm Rental sure, cost is probably higher, too. I'm sure there's a lot of price variance from the tickets that were 200 okay. to $400 to like tickets that you could have probably got for like 25 bucks up in the nosebleeds. Yeah, I remember even like some shows, was it Tool, where the floor seats were actually less expensive than like 100 level. Yeah, because general admission, yeah. Not when you buy them from a scalper. God, no. In a 3,000 street venue. So we're talking about not gouging because that, that's got to be the end oh, rule. As a rock totally. star, don't gouge your Don't yeah, gouge don't your gouge, don't gouge. They're the lifeblood of your band. It, it's it's sad because the label gouges the band and then the band would yeah. gouge the fans. It's just no Well, they're the ones at the end of the day, even when you switch labels are going to be there so don't yeah. gouge your fans and that also goes to merchandise oh are you if you if you want charge less for your tickets you know charge less but make it up in merchandise get something that people don't need you don't need merchandise you can experience the band without having your band's hoodie or whatever that the t-shirt tour you don't like that the tour t-shirt to but, show as a souvenir that you were there you don't need it you no, don't need no, it but matt's bang on the money you're doing stuff based on that tour. Some of the bands that sell the most merchandise do have really, really cool interactive sort of collectible items built just around. I hate to use them again in such a short period of time, but Pearl Jam being like the touring, touring band that they are now, their fan club is literally built around servicing their fans. So what do they have? They're one of the only bands that right now allows you to bootleg one of their concerts. So if you walk in with a recording device yep. into a Pearl Jam show, you can 100% record their concerts. Aren't they, can't you get their concerts online after the show? So that's that's kind of the next thing. If you don't want to do your crappy-ass bootleg version that you would have produced, you can go to their website, and I'm talking for a very affordable fee. I didn't even know if they – I thought it was like they didn't even charge. No, no, no. They, they, they charge. Okay, it's, okay. But it's like the cost of what a really, really cheap CD would have been. Like we're talking 12 13 bucks, and that's for – probably two and a half, three hours worth of tracks. So band, bands like Coheed and Cambria are very, very similar in that. They, their merch is where they make a lot of their money. They don't price their tickets high. Yep. They're not a very big band. It, it also depends on the record deal that they signed. If the band has all their image rights, that's their bread and butter is on the merchandising. And it's, again, to go to collectibles, the Foo Fighters tour from that show, with there was a broken leg mm-hmm. tour. So the only time you could get the shirt that had the fracture, the picture of his fracture, was that tour. But Marketing. It, it, yeah, it even it, like you talk about something like marketing, tour posters for each city being done by local artists, having real connection to that city. I, I know that one of the most in demand hats from that Pearl Jam show was ones that were built around looking like the old Montreal Expos baseball team and the Blue Jays. Oh, I didn't oh, know that. Cool. Yeah. Okay. I have, I have, I have a Molson Canadian shirt that's built around like the beer. You know, I've seen those shirts on, uh, on Pearl Jam's Instagram about when they're in Chicago, so that's something related to the Cubs. So Arcade Fire does a good job with that. When they go, they do their headlining tour, they bring a local act to open for them at every city they go to. 
Okay. So you spend a lot of time when you're on the road, you spend a lot of time with, I guess, the bread and butter. It's your band. Mm -hmm. So I I guess the most important thing is, is your band name. How do you come up with your band name? Are you going to use your name because you're the front man? You know, let's say... I don't know what, a Canadian band, Matthew Good, Matthew Good Band. So you're basically just putting all the attention on you. Is that what you want? Or do you want to give yourself a cool name? That guy had a real big ego and that was his problem. I don't know. Band names are interesting. You you hear a lot of them afterwards say they hate the name that they chose. And nowadays I'm hearing people are hitting like random on Wikipedia to get up like a random article and they just, that's the name of the band. Well, uh, you mentioned ego with, with having a band that's named after you. I don't know how you couldn't be kind of an egomaniac, not in, like naming a band after you. That said, while some of those bands do produce good music, we, we had talked about something a little earlier with this. I think if you're the singer songwriter, so the guy who's kind of the lifeblood of the band, I think then and then only is it okay for you to have the band named after you. You hired individual band members. You're the one who did all the legwork. Then it's your band. If you're basically the writer and the main contributor and you just got the other guys filling in the parts, then yeah, you, you're your name. You're but, a solo artist at that point but in my eyes. try not to do that still. When you think of like a cool band name though, like I, the Beatles, it's so simple yet, you know, there's a double meaning. See, there. I don't think the Beatles is a great band name personally. No? Oh, I love it. It's, it doesn't do anything for me. You think of the insect, but then it's like the beat. You know, the talking yeah, about the beats. It's, it's, it's cool. Even, even like... I think it's more about what your band does to build the legend behind that name. Like the Beach Boys just sounds like a lame name. But I mean, to service both points, a guy like Brian Wilson, he's arguably a musical genius. Mm -hmm. And he was putting all of that shit together. And they just had this poppy, fresh sounding name. And you pop in something like Pet Sounds and... The great it's, it's, song. That great album's album. fantastic. They were, but they their name kind of defined this. Like it was almost like the sound that the, the, they were creating. The genre was like almost like California beach sound. Yeah, but like surfers didn't even like their music. <laughs> no, definitely no. not. <laughs> but you, you know what they say? It's it's the the band name doesn't make the band. The band makes the band name. Right? Yeah, like yeah. Iron Maiden. Iron Maiden yeah. band name yeah. is awesome. I always it's also it. a torturing machine. Yeah, like uh, Foo Fighters, it was, what was it, from UFOs from yeah. the 40s, and Dave Grohl hates it now, but it just, it, it's cool now, it's stuck. He doesn't like the name, but... Look at Zeppelin. Somebody told them that their their new side project, the one that they had, the band that effect, eventually became Led Zeppelin, was a, a Jimmy Page side project, mm-hmm. and somebody said to him, I can't remember the person exactly, but they were like, this thing's going to go over like a lead balloon. So they called it Led Zeppelin, and... I don't know. When I hear that name, it's not because of the music. That name just sounds metal to me. Yeah, sure. Well, I always hated the Lincoln Park, but with that sound, like, could you imagine a different name for that band? No, not really. I think you just, you grow into your band name. That might be it. Like Megadeth. That's a sweet name. Like Aerosmith was always a badass name. And yeah. it's like almost ahead of the me. I think in some cases the name can be cool enough to carry the band, but adversely. You can have a really bad name. You can have a really bad name, but it made, it's made cool by the sound. Yeah. Like if you're called like, the Chavons or like the, the, I don't know, churches, the, the, the Fratellis. But to go back to even like naming your band after like Bon Jovi, he wasn't the only guy really doing anything. Richie Sambora was a big part of everything as well. Yeah. Yeah. But I guess that's cool. Last names. The same with like Van Halen. Oh man. I'm talking about a band. I hate, Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I hate guns and roses. Oh, I hate them too. That's a, I like the name though. That's a great name. Can we talk about name. how 
Axl Rose is the stere- stereotypical rock star douchebag. Oh, uh, I think he's on the far on, on the, the douchebag level, a hundred percent. Yeah. So yeah. unwritten rule: don't be Axl Rose. He, yeah. He he. I think he actually breaks almost every rule we've brought up to him. He doesn't service his fans. No. He is terrible to his bandmates. He's still he's still a rock star. Though. That's the thing, right? I bet you at the end of this, the big unwritten rule we're gonna have is gonna be don't be Axl Rose. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I guess part of your band, you know, your name, I think you make the name. That's that's my that's my rule. You 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 make the name. The, ma- the name doesn't make you. Absolutely. Yeah, I agree. But another important part of your band is your actual band, your bandmates. What kind of are you allowed to have more than one crazy guy in the band, or do we all have to have complementary roles in the band? It's got to be like a marriage. It's got to work. However, yeah. however it works, it's just got to work. Whether it's multiple crazy people, whether it's People that are very lazy and laid back, it's just it's got to work. I, I think you're right. I think if, if you get too many different cooks in the kitchen, so to speak, mm-hmm. you, it's going to be really hard for you to put something together. I think it's it's how you manage the personalities and what works. I mean, you can have multiple crazy personalities, but I mean, it's very challenging to have to tour with those people, yet alone spend hours writing music and recording. Yeah, and I mean, like, the other thing, too, is kind of like in a marriage, you know, they say, like, if you get married to somebody, if something bothers you at the beginning, it's more than likely going to really bother you in 10 to 15 years. I really think that that is actually expedited in a band because you're forced to spend time with them. It really yep. isn't like a choice. They're coworkers that you can't get rid of in a way. And it, and I think it's it's knowing your lane. Like, mm-hmm. if, if you're not a contributing songwriter... A great example, I Mother Earth. Uh, Edwin had a whole falling out because they wouldn't let him write lyrics. Really? Yeah. He was that he, bad at it. it. Well, I don't think he was bad at Money. it. I mean, Alive is just such a beautifully written song. That's a great song. Honestly, that album is pretty underrated. Right. But that's just because of the control of Jag and his brother, the drummer. They wanted to be the writers. And, and it's... They probably got paid for it bigger, too. No? Well, yeah. You get you get paid royalties if you're actually a writer on it. So it's it's like if you want to contribute and have like the royalty income coming in, like you better... I think this is stuff that needs to be addressed before you really start. Another thing I think you need to address is... I guess your social stance. What? What do you have a social conscience, or is are you there just to play some music? Like, what's the deal as your band? Like, uh, uh, I, okay. My my unwritten rule for this, I'm going to say it right out the gate, is if you're going to be a politically charged band, you have to be from day one. From day one, yeah. Okay, and I'll I'll give you two examples of what to do and what, or one example of what to do and what not to do. Love them or hate them, you two have always been a political band. Yep. Mm-hmm. Out out of the gates. They obviously, with what's what's happened in Ireland, what they feel about the world, they have never shied away from that. And I guess there's a consensus amongst the band where they support the activism that, you know, Bono has in the public eye. A version of it not to do is to be a kind of, I want to say, I don't want to say like jokey, but they were, they definitely had like fun, haha personalities when they were in front of cameras. Don't be Green Day. Don't make mm. a slew of albums and then when it's name an album after shit. Don't don't yeah. Don't wait till there's a president in office that is an absolute moron and then decide this looks like a fun piñata to take a swing at and create a whole second half of your career to be relevant again. I know people say like do whatever it takes to survive mm-hmm. and you know find a way to be relevant, but it just seemed like the most lame thing that any band could do. It was to me. That's worse than selling out. You know, 
My opinion on the politics or keeping any sort of social agenda with your band, I don't think you should necessarily do it. I feel like you want to get people together. You don't want to divide them. You want all sorts of people coming to your show. But that's my opinion on it. I guess it depends band to band. My unwritten rule for that is you practice what you preach. If you're going to be out there and you're going to be like, like he said, like if you're going to be a rage or, or a U2, like you, 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 you ride till you die with it. Yeah. You have but, to, you have to live and breathe that. 100. I'm, I'm with you. I don't think being selective because it, it's convenient is the right way to go. I don't know. I think, um, I think every artist should go in with some sort of social conscience about what they're writing and what they're saying. You okay. got to remember they're impressionable to a lot of people, their views and their values. Now I'm not saying it has to be political, but it has to be something of substance, whether it's about how to act and approach society about life in general. Cause music isn't just music to no, some people. Don't, it's, don't glorify. Yeah. Don't glorify stupid shit. Like you hear in a lot of rap songs about money and cars and stuff like that. Talk about something real. The best albums are the ones where they're talking about something relatable. Jay-Z's new album, 444, people loved it. Why? Because he's talking about the reality of his relationship, how he cheated, how he is human. And he's not glorifying the bullshit of, look at my car, look at this sports agent. So, Sorry, really quickly, the kind of irony behind that, that <laughs> album and the previous release from Beyonce, I truly feel like, when, you know, we were talking earlier about setups and things Gimmick. to sell records. Like, for all we know, they may be perfectly happily married, mm -hmm. and they were just like, you know what would sell a shit ton of records if, like, the biggest it couple on the planet had an issue? Dude, I believe it. It's 100%. I think even the Tom Brady, Roger Goodell stuff is the same. It, oh, it's on stage. You don't shake hands like that after you win a Super Bowl if you're angry. <laughs> but, but we're talking about, let's say, like, Green Day and Jay-Z, how he's changed from, you know, being the big pimp into, mm -hmm. uh, you know, more about his personal life. Bands evolve. To big enterprising. He went from big pimping to big enterprising. Yeah. So Green Day evolved from a joking around teenage high school band to a politically aware I, band. I, I think yeah. you, at a certain point, depending on what's going on in society, by not by having a voice and not saying something or doing something to maybe push upon the betterment, mm -hmm. you're almost at fault. By standing there and letting it slide by and just not touching it and going, it doesn't matter. What if you have a, an opinion on not touching something because you don't want to make it worse or you, probably, you might make it worse? And that's fine. That's your choice. But to go out, I think you should have the ability. Bands should, at some, to some degree, talk about this stuff. That's funny. Rage against, or Rise Against is a great example of that. Well, their name is, it sounds politically charged or socially consciously charged. It's socially conscious. It's funny. It almost sounded like you guys were talking about like scratching a rash. <laughs> like if you scratch. I'm going to re-listen to that. That's no. great. <laughs> so evolving as a band, I'm talking not no more social conscious, but the the, ev the eventual evolution of a band. Or so do you you're talking musically? Musically, you evolve. Yeah, absolutely. You should, but some people don't. They kind of keep the same sound going. What are your thoughts on evolving? You're letting your music evolve a bit. Like, you have to. You have to. To some degree, you can't literally be going out and playing essentially the same thing over and over again just by changing the the key mm -hmm. of it. It, you have to evolve and explore a little. I I I, th I think on some levels, like Matt saying, like especially if you're a band that was spawned out of a period of time in music that had such a distinct sound that I'll, was like to a time. We'll say like the '80s, okay? Like people hear you can hear an '80s song come on the radio and just know 100 percent it's from the '80s. Yep. And I'd say of any decade, that decade was the most most ruthless in terms of bands transitioning out of it into 
the 90s and 2000s because not many with that sound did actually no they didn't survive literally like the early 90s were so different from the previous 10 years yeah i think one thing a band should consider is be relevant enough so that if let's say you start in the 80s try and stay relevant enough so that when the 80s sound comes back in you can go back to making 80s music again and be super relevant again i think because that's what's going on the 80s sound is back duran duran was waiting for this decade matt's never gonna give you up (laughs) did you see uh, i did you saw dave grohl he he did it he was smart enough he's like y'all laughed at me who's laughing now (laughs) in my opinion you look at a band and you know, God bless, you know, rest in peace, Chester. But Linkin Park is my example. I feel like a lot of their initial fans kind of left them. They they changed their sound completely from like a hard rock band to a pop, almost not almost dance music. Well, here's the thing. Like with artistry in a lot of ways, you evolve. You just change. Yeah. You change. You're inspired differently from when you're broke and you've got nothing to when you're super rich and on mm-hmm. top of the world. So I guess it's kind of like the fighter. How do you stay hungry? How do you stay creative? I mean, you see with a lot of like rap artists, they'll come out, they'll be huge, put out a few good albums or live in the good life. They don't relate anymore to being in the projects. That's, that's so far gone in their yeah. past yeah. that all they know is caviar and Ferraris. You know, then you get bands like Metallica. They just, they seem to make bad decision after bad decision, going after Napster, not embracing the digital age. You get something like the first we were talking about earlier. The first four albums have this very distinct sound that is Metallica, and then I know Dave Mustaine left, and Cliff Cliff Burton died, and but then you get to Black, and it's a little more commercial, whether it was intended to be or not, but still a pretty heavy heavy metal album. Transitions. Then, then you get to Load and Reload, and it's like a watered down well, rock party, and then you get Saint Anger, which and we talked about this risks. Yeah, I think it's okay to take a risk. It's okay to make a bad album, you- but hang on, the, that that to me wasn't a risk so much as trying to re- reinvent like, themselves. Yeah, like that's a risk. Well, that's not reinvent themselves. I think they were trying to go back to what they were. Not you can't look in the rearview mirror. They, they took solos out for that album. They had solos on their first album, right? But they were trying. I get it. They were trying to incorporate some of what's going on, but they were trying to like get heavier. Get they were trying to, to get heavier. back to that, like ride the lightning sounds with the drums and and like double kicks, which he hadn't used in a decade, yeah. like running two two kick they, pedals. They missed. They missed big. It was a terrible album. But like, I mean, they transitioned into the nineties well with yeah. with the black album. And then look at them now. Their last album was killer. I'm just saying, like, in terms they went of being, back to thrash. being loyal to a fan base, they, like Matt said, their last album, they went back to thrash. If you go see one of their concerts, the loudest pops for some of their songs are the ones from those original albums. I'm not saying you got to keep making the same thing again, but I don't think you should, like, completely veer off the path. Reinvent the wheel in, in your music. It's yeah. tough. So a band that I really like... Killswitch Engage, their metalcore band. Their first two albums were fantastic, some of the best in that genre. Mm-hmm. But they've essentially just re like released the same sounding album since then. And yeah. by now, like now, I'm kind of just sick of it. Every time there's a new album, I don't even really bother to sink my teeth in and try to listen to it because it sounds just like everything else. Mm-hmm. There's no evolution to it. So I guess when you try to evolve, sometimes there's going to be problems maybe like a conflict between the band where you want to go in different different ways maybe somebody wants to go with more electronic sound someone wants to go maybe more classic sound Mm -hmm. how do you deal with conflicts as a band 
I think you got to face him head on. Head yeah. on? Yeah. Because any pussyfooting or trying to beat around the bush is like it pretty much it leads to resentments that grow and then you end up with situations like the greatest band in the world ever breaking up and you know them never reuniting for one more show which i mean we would have all loved to see the beatles come and play one more show somewhere down the line you know what i'm saying like Mm -hmm. but because of internal band struggle not letting one of the greatest songwriters that the world never knew was a great songwriter not make songs for you like george harrison yeah yeah like I mean, even, fuck, even Ringo wrote me good songs. Right, but it, that's part of when you start that band, knowing your role. Like I was saying, you know, these are the songwriters and the rest are the musicians, right? But, like, you bring up a good point because it's the same thing with Pink Floyd. If it wasn't for that charity event, when was it, like, in the early 2000s? Oh, uh, would, the, the Live 8. Yeah, you yeah. would never see Roger Waters and David Gilmore on stage together. It's true. Man, David Gilmore. Such a great guitarist. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Just next so, level. So then what do you do then when you have to... You're creatively, you're butting heads. You're you decide to break up because you guys just can't do it anymore, or do you stay touring for the money, or do you break? Well, that's it. You just decide and you just have it out. Like, are we doing this to get paid, or is this just not worth it? Or you do the classic: take a break, go do work on side projects, hiatus. Yeah, give yourself some free time to go and do other creative things. Sometimes, Matt, though. Maybe somebody in that band doesn't want to forge you that time. An amazing example mm-hmm. of that is very true. Simon and Garfunkel. Yeah, very yeah. true, very true. Art Garfunkel wanted to make movies. He got cast in a role and he was like, peace out. And then when his movie career literally fell off a cl- or figuratively fell off a cliff, Paul didn't take him back. And <laughs> it was the sounds of silence. <laughs> you know, there was there was de- there was a deafening silence. And how good was the album after they broke up though, the solo album? Graceland? Yeah. I mean, I mean, Chevy Chase. had Chevy Chase. I'll explain this. Basically, after Art Garfunkel left Simon and Garfunkel, Paul Simon made it almost like his personal life mission, like his, his cross to bear to show the world that he was everything behind. Our, uh, Simon and Garfunkel, and the only th- the only reason Garfunkel was there was for harmonies. So, if you're a rock star and you feel like you got the chops to make it as a solo artist, that breakup might be a blessing in disguise. Yeah, I mean, sometimes like Dallas Green got bigger, and even Alexis oh, yeah. got bigger because of his side stuff. Tom Petty is a perfect example. If you look at Tom Petty's big singles, they're all by himself. It's actually after the Traveling Wilburys when he worked with George Harrison, who Frank mentioned being a great songwriter, and Jeff Lynne. Right? Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers wouldn't be nearly as big without going solo. Another one, Peter Gabriel. Genesis exploded when it it, uh, was Phil Collins up front, which never would have happened had... Well, Phil Collins exploded when he let when he did side projects too. Maybe just being in Genesis makes you amazing. Yeah. Uh, Well, yeah, the quality of musicianship is... Yeah, but we're looking at the the bands that that seem to do well on side projects. What about the bands that just kind of give up, do maybe a little bit of solo stuff, but they don't really do much? You mean Axl Rose? Mm-hmm. Like Axl Rose. I'm or, just. I gotta. I gotta bring up the the elephant in the room. Or, Axl Rose. Or another one yeah. we we're talking about earlier, Edwin, where he tended yeah. bar in our twenties. Yeah, yeah, he did. And then what about the? You know, money's running a little dry. Do you do the reunion? Okay, so a band that's like really, really notorious for doing that. I mean, obviously, there's the big ones like the Rolling Stones and whoever. Any of the big acts that like you, you just ask yourself, why do they keep touring? The Who. Yeah, like Pete Townsend's kind of the musical genius behind the Who, and it just happens to be that he had a really great drummer and a really great singer in that band. Um, and Pete Entwistle was an amazing bassist. That said, 
they have had to actually ask him, well, the surviving members when they were, it's now it's just Roger Daltrey. They've had to actually ask him to tour again because they need money because yeah. he owns all the masters. He, pretty much when the who plays, the only person who makes money is Pete Townsend. Yep. It's the deal he signed. Well, look at Van Halen. Like how many times are they going to try to reunite with David Lee Roth break up on tour? Cause they hate each other. <laughs> and, and like say it was Sammy Hagar. It's ridiculous. Here's an unwritten rule of being a rock star. Make sure you get your fair cut. Oh, yeah. yeah. I think that's, that's a big one. There, yeah, but record labels back, I mean, especially in those days, they were just taking so much advantage there of is, Sorry to interrupt, Frank, but there is a great documentary that was on Netflix. I don't know if it still is, but it's called Artifact. Mm-hmm. It was the 30 Seconds to Mars documentary that started about their second or third album, and it ended up being a whole documentary about the record label and their, them suing... 30 seconds to Mars. Yeah, Tool's going through the same sort of thing with, yeah. with their newest well, album. It's been like 10 yeah. years since their last album. Yeah, yeah. And they can't, because and they can't release anything. Something to do with artwork, I, I think f- they're handcuffed by. I feel like their their fourth album sort of foreshadowed how long we'd have to wait for their fifth. Yeah. <laughs> 10,000 days. I wish it was only 10,000 days. I know, it's been much more. <laughs> and then I guess the last stop of being a rock star. How do you end? Do you retire? Do you keep going until you can't go anymore? Die on a toilet, my friend. That's that's a rock star way to go. See, all this way. I feel like rock and roll either retires you or you, you can't leave it. I'm going to sidebar this for a second, it, it, you know, to go to, back to that dying on the toilet. I did a fucking tour at Memphis in Graceland. Yeah. You don't see the toilet he died on. No? You see a shitty basement. I, I just, I just got to say. Was that like, what they advertised? Graceland, step up your game. Is that what they advertised? Because, no, but you figure you'd see it and this is where he died. <laughs> Graceland, you need to be as good as Paul Simon's Graceland. Thank you. That's it. Unwritten rule. Real Graceland, be as good as Paul Simon's Graceland. Thank you. But, uh, I mean, why stop if you're still passionate about it and you still got a fan base? It's I mean, like Mick Jagger. There's an interview of him in, what, his like early 20s saying yeah. he's gonna he's done within 5, 10 years. He's not going to do, do this as an old man. Is it cool to be an old man and be a rock star? I mean, if you're still relevant and people are going to sell out and you have – a drive, whether that's you know a true provocation, passion, or if it's financial reasons. But honestly, what breaks my heart is like seeing bands that come out and they're like they were formerly amazing acts. It's like two fifths of the band, the original lineup, yeah. and they're playing it like a casino yeah. for a bunch of old people that were comped the tickets. And, and yeah, like Journey going out with a singer that sounds like your original singer playing bunch of casino shows and basically being a glorified cover band of yourself oh worst yeah it's it's really tough especially when the songs that they started with were really high pitched let's say you singer had a high pitched vo- voice and it's what 30 years later the yeah. singer can't hit those notes anymore it just sounds garbage you, you got to know when to hang it up i think yeah, I think you're allowed to retire if if that's yeah. all that's left. I mean, Rush just retired not too long ago. Well, that's because Neil Peart's yeah. hearing is going right. Yeah, something like that. Was no, that ACDC? Said, I'm thinking ACDC. No, ACDC didn't. One, no. oh, Brian Johnson got, said, but they toured without him. Yeah. Oh, so they're still going without Brian. Rush, Johnson. Rush, I, I think so. Rush's story is Neil Peart has a new wife, kid. He wants to spend more time with. Fair enough. Not yeah. to mention Alex Lifeson has arthritis, so they couldn't it's keep hard to play yeah, guitar. They couldn't yeah, keep going. What about those commercials for the arthritis medication where the <laughs> he guy that hook up with <laughs> Remember there's like that that old <laughs> yeah, guy yeah. playing bass and he can't play it and then he's like smooth as smooth He needs as to hook up with Joe Carter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's, I think you just can't 
you can't keep going. Once, once, once the once you're playing casinos, that's the time to throw in the towel. One hundred percent. You have to still be selling out the stadiums. And like I said, it's relative. If you can if you can sell out a stadium and the people that show up have a little bit of lifeblood and there's a demand, fuck it. Who cares? Rock I think it's roll. a legacy you set. That's like some bands can just do it and keep going. And that's if you can keep doing it. And there's always pe- new you. people finding that's their true music, too. right? Like yeah. classic rock bands, kids still listen to them because their parents listen to them, or they found classic rock, got into it, and they want to go see Pink Floyd or whoever one last time. I, actually, sorry, really quick. Yeah. Last time I saw Roger Waters, I saw him for the the Wall tour. Nice. And the 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 demographics. The, the wide variety of demographic that was there was stay there was like little kids like I'm talking like six year olds yeah and all the way to like weathered grandfather I think that goes to the music as much as you can have a cool rock star front man the music has to be there the music appeals to everyone it's got to so, work for with drugs marijuana okay I oh, gotta no. propose a question then what <laughs> about Floyd? not the six year olds right. I'm hoping what about boy bands that were touring as middle aged bands? And are now touring as pre-senior citizen bands. You know, uh, yeah, you know what? I mean, like, okay, so there's nostalgia factor for a lot of people with somebody like, like, let's say Frankie Valley in the Four Seasons or any, any, like any Backstreet the- Boys or NSYNC if they were to tour. I understand it because this is where they're going to make all their money now. Yeah. Because those fans, as a child, you know, you can't afford all the T-shirts and all that stuff going yeah. to the concerts, paying for those extra special tickets where oh, you meet well, the band. Yeah, now, for some reason, you know, your aunt's going to want people to know that her and your mom went to go see you know the four seasons at the local convention center <laughs> or be funnier at the four seasons and got like the press the pressed on that night t- uh, tour shirt i know what they're doing they were touring for teeny bopping girls now they're touring for divorcees Ooh, so it's an interesting crowd to troll you can go mm-hmm. to any any late night bar so i guess going through all this stuff what do you think is the most important rule being a rock star Oh, Matt's got his hand up. He's don't excited. be Axl Rose. I was don't also going to say, don't be Axl Rose. Fuck it. Let's go with don't be Axl Rose. I, I was going to say, just do what you want and have fun, but don't be Axl Rose. Unwritten rule. All right. So we're the unwritten rule. You can find us on Twitter at the UR podcast. You can also find us on Instagram at the unwritten rule podcast. Check us out on our website, www.ltdpotential.com. You can check us out on soundcloud itunes and the google play music store mm-hmm. click leave us a review or and subscribe please and remember everybody rules are made to be broken but you can't break the unwritten ones